welcome you to another episode of The Point After a College Football Show, episode 15. Man, it's already crazy. We're at 15, Cody. Week 6 preview and predictions. We got a lot to talk about. And I know there's one person that's excited for this week because it's Oklahoma, Texas, Red River shootout, Red River rivalry, whatever you want to call it. It is that week. Cody, how are you feeling? We're on week six of college football. You know, I can't complain. Uh, got my nice, warm Tim Hortons extra large triple triple. Everyone knows Tim Hortons, great coffee. Uh, great coffee. It is Red River week. Uh, the Texas State Fair is popping down in Dallas, uh, which means there's going to be extra poundage getting gained this weekend mm. um, with all the fried food, um, tons of rides. Everyone's going to be having fun, and they're going to be watching the Sooners beat the Texas Longhorns, hopefully. Oh, so you already have your pick already. We haven't even <laughs> talked have about it. I mean, come on, man. Like, it's my guy. Like, come on. It's Oklahoma, Texas. That's true. My guys. That's true. That'd That's be like true. Picking, that'd be like you picking USC to beat Notre Dame. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. I, I respect the loyalty there from Mr. Cody Oaks, but we just want to say we appreciate everyone, you know, the feedback, following, subscribing. We're 15 episodes deep, and, man, this season's already been way better than last year. Um, it's weird. Every single week we don't do an episode. It feels like something's taken out of me. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm missing something each week. Love college football. College football right now is supreme and the best, and we're going to start off. With the game of the week, Cody, the Red River rivalry, Red River shootout, whatever you want to call it, 12 Oklahoma at three Texas. This game will be played in Dallas, Texas at the Cotton Bowl. Texas is a six-and-a-half point favorite, over-unders at 60. Both teams, Cody, undefeated for the first time since 2011 in that game. Like you mentioned last episode, Oklahoma won. Um, I mean – some key players, obviously Dylan Gabriel and Quinn Ewers are the two at the top for quarterback, but I'm going to throw it to you, Cody. Let's talk quarterback first before we get into some keys to victory. Um, what about Dylan Gabriel this year has impressed you versus last year, second Man, year think, in Oklahoma? I think he's done such a good job just taking what the defense gives him, um, hitting that back foot on his drop, making sure the ball's out quickly. He has a ton of good playmakers on the outside. Um, I actually posted one. Oh, my gosh. I actually posted number one back, ooh, I want to say like like during week zero, um, I posted him. And I was like, possible breakout star. And he's actually leading uh, Oklahoma in receiving this year um, in yards, catches, and touchdowns. So pretty cool to see. Um, but also getting back to Dylan Gabriel, uh, he's done a really good job avoiding the big-time turnover. Um, they've had a couple pothole possible games, SMU being one, since on the road at Cincinnati being one. And they've both been able to make sure that he's, like I said, avoided the big turnover. Um, he's done a great job distributing to his playmakers. Um, and you, he just looks comfortable. And the biggest thing to me, he's staying healthy. He's sliding, getting out of bounds, getting the ball out of his hands to make sure he's avoiding the big hit. Um, I think last year he was trying to do a little bit too much, got a little too excited, um, which led to big hits happening, which occurred, like, which also ended up him getting injured and mm. ultimately Oklahoma having their first losing season. So. Yeah, this is his second year at Oklahoma, first time in this rivalry, which I know we're both excited. Obviously, you're an Oklahoma fan, but me, being a football fan itself, I want to see everyone healthy. I want to see both quarterbacks on each side go at it on Saturday. It'll be an early game for both teams. For Quinn Ewers, what's impressed you most about Quinn Ewers this year? He looks more confident, more poised. The mullet is gone, and his talent has flourished so far five games in the season. I think the biggest thing I've seen with Quinn Ewers has been not only his maturity, 
Obviously, we know the mullet's gone. They said he dropped about 20 pounds in the offseason, mm. so he looks more explosive in the run game, which sounds kind of weird. Quinn Ewers, we know he's been able to throw the football. He came out of high school as a pocket passer, went to Ohio State as a pocket passer, got to Texas. Uh, Coach Sark has gotten his hands on him. He's gotten really health. Like like we said, he's definitely dealt with his physical health, uh, dropping those pounds, but which has allowed him to be a little bit more dynamic in the run game. We saw him rip off, I want to say, like a 30-yard run for a touchdown against Kansas, mm. um, some timely scrambles against Alabama earlier in the year. So, Ultimately, right now, Quinn Ewers has elevated his game to a point now where um, does he start to creep into that first-round draft pick discussion? Does he start to overtake guys like Drake May, who's kind of had an underwhelming season right now, um, as a possible new draft pick option for teams in the NFL this year? I've seen some mock drafts have J.J. McCarthy as the third quarterback being picked. So it's kind of interesting to see everyone's kind of questioning, you know, how deep this this class is, who's going to be that third guy, and again, off-season talk for NFL Draft. Me and Cody will dive into the quarterback rankings and further on there. Um, my next question for you, Cody, we got two We got two coaches, and this is a big game for each coach. Obviously, Steve Tarkeesian and the hot start they have right now. Texas hasn't been 5-0, and I don't think, since 2005. They haven't had a great start like this in a while. And then the other side of it for the Oklahoma Sooners, uh, Brent Venables, a guy who was questioned last year. He's a defensive mind. They've looked better this year. There's that alarm that, that went off. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that with the U.S.? Yeah, oh, my alarm. gosh. That scared the hell out of me. Jeez, <laughs> bruh. It's supposed to be that's at 1120. It's at 11.18. That's how you know the uh, the point after is real, guys. We get, oh, we're still I'm, we're human. <laughs> I'm awake now. Oh, my yeah. goodness. That scared the hell out of me. Um, Jeez. Well, oh, anyways, something else, I guess, that scared you know, Venables and in, in this uh, Oklahoma Sooners, this fan base has been super mad at, you know, what Brent Venables did last year. Obviously, 49-0 last year against Texas, but they come into this year, Cody, different. My question to you, is this a bigger game for Steve Sarkeesian or Brent Venables? I'd say Brent Venables. I mean, ultimately, you can kind of see, like, in the polls, Oklahoma hasn't really made a ton of headway. They've worked their way up slowly. It seems like every week they're, like, one or two spots higher, one or two spots higher. Texas kind of made that jump from 11 to three right away after they beat Alabama. And so, mm. and right now kind of Texas is like the hot topic is like, Oh, finally, Texas is back. Texas is finally all the talent, all the recruiting that they've been doing in Texas and the surrounding areas has kind of gotten them to that point now. Um, so now it's just good to see, you know, ultimately I think coach Venables um, and that defense is playing well enough to be able to compete in this game. Last year, they just weren't quite there yet. He's starting to get his personnel in. He did a really good job working the transfer portal. Um, and I think that now he's starting to get those guys that can, can run his system. And ultimately, Coach Venable's system starts with the D-line and that front seven. So they're able to create pressures, not only with unique uh, blitzes, but also just with their front four being dynamic, uh, big-time playmakers up front. So good to see Coach Venables um, in a year that I think he needed to have a big year. 100%. And this will be the last time these teams face each other as the Big 12. What's good about these two teams, I think if either one loses and they win out, we could see this matchup again in the Big 12 championship, maybe vying for a CFP spot as well. But, Cody, let's get into our keys to victory here. I got Texas. You've got Oklahoma. Start out with 12, Oklahoma. What are the keys to victory for them if they want to pull out a big upset against three Texas? I think the biggest thing for me right now with Oklahoma – Keep riding the arm of Dylan Gabriel. I think right now he's matured to that point where he's understanding exactly what it is that he needs to do. Um, I think ultimately Coach Venables has done a really good job on the defensive side. He's going to be able to limit 
Quinn Ewers in that running game as mm-hmm. well. Um, I think anytime you get a rivalry game where Oklahoma is kind of the underdog, it's very rare that they lose. So um, Oklahoma usually goes into Texas a lot, gets a lot of those Texas kids to kind of come up to Oklahoma. Texas has tried to do a better job of keeping a fence around the state, but ultimately kids end up getting through that gate um, up north to Oklahoma. So ultimately, Oklahoma, play with pride, play with passion, come out a couple trick plays, and then ultimately once you get that one or two touchdown lead, hold on um, and play loose coverage. Don't let A.D. Mitchell or Xavier Worthy get deep on you. And ultimately I think it's going to be come down to a kick and – uh yeah, to me, that's anyone's ball game. But I do believe that the Sooners end up winning the football game. Okay. Well, I'm going to go Texas side of it here for keys to victory. Um, first one, I, I've seen recently, and Dylan Gabriel had had two fumbles, one loss against Cincinnati there. He's holding the football a little loose. For me, for Texas, I think you got to take advantage of that and punch the ball out. Um, especially Dylan Gabriel. He's been good with inter- his interceptions, only two this year. But I think he's a guy – you could throw him off his game with a with a fumble or maybe an interception. He could get flustered. That's just for me personally. Make Dylan Gabriel uncomfortable. They got to pressure him as well. He's only been sacked, Cody, four times this season. Dylan Gabriel, that offensive line from Oklahoma has been doing well. Um, the last time they faced a mobile quarterback was Milrow. They had five sacks. A key guy for their defense has got to be Anthony Hill Jr., who had two. He's been quiet recently. He needs to step it up, especially as, as a freshman outbreak star for Texas. He needs to be um, the force there. I'm going to throw it back to you. What's impressed you about this Oklahoma offensive line? And when you look at the trenches here, um, what, what kind of sticks out to you for both sides? Yeah, you know, I mean, with Oklahoma's offensive line, they're definitely tied to uh, Dylan Gabriel being able to get them in, into the right play, you know, making mm-hmm. sure he's adjusting protections properly, setting the back the right way to make sure he's protecting his bl- blind side, maybe sliding the line to the proper side to make sure they're protecting his blind side um, so that we can get the running back out into routes um, to threaten the defense more vertically downfield. So ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, Oklahoma's offensive line is clearly improved. Only four sacks on the year. I think, like I said, that kind of goes hand-in-hand with Dylan Gabriel being able to check at the line of scrimmage, make sure they're in the proper protections. Now, because the stadium's going to be split 50-50, it's going to be a loud, raucous environment. So is he going to be able to make those checks and adjustments with the Texas fans being loud? Because this will probably be the most um, fired-up environment that they'll play in this year. My second key to victory for Texas, they're known as a fast-paced offense. I think long drives, slow long drives to exhaust this Oklahoma defense is going to be big. Um, we haven't seen Oklahoma. Obviously, it's the best opponent they face. Texas has an advantage, obviously, playing Alabama, but it's been a couple weeks there. Can they get these long drives? And then all starts with Jonathan Brooks, the running back. We questioned before the season who could be this running back for Texas with Bijan leaving, and they've obviously they haven't they haven't lost their step in the running game. He's got to get a lot of the a lot of the carries for Texas. But also, you mentioned Oklahoma's defensive backs being the highlight there. I think for Texas, you got to take advantage of the one on one matchups. You always mention that, Cody. But also test these Oklahoma DBs, AD Mitchell, Xavier Worthy. I think they got to combine for 220 yards receiving Cody mm. for them to win this game. 220 yards, especially. Without Jatavion Sanders, the tight end for Texas, he went off Big. against Bama last time they played. Um, he's questionable right now with the lower Big. leg injury. That's a big injury for Texas. Um, I don't know. I haven't watched a whole lot of Oklahoma defense, Cody, but, I mean, 
the wide receivers on the outside, it's going to be a tough matchup against those DBs of Oklahoma. They faced Alabama's DBs. They did well there. But, again, without the tight end of, of Sanders, we'll see how they adjust offensively. Yeah, you know, like I said, like Coach Venable's defenses are known for that front seven. If the DBs are able to win those matchups early and Oklahoma is able to get a lead, like I said, they'll only have to rush four, be able to play soft coverage and really make Texas have those 12, 13, 14 play drives, eat up a lot of clock. And it's hard to come back from multiple score deficit if you're having to take that long amount of time. Just ask Colorado this last weekend against uh, USC. Mm. I'm excited for this matchup, man. You've got two quarterbacks that look way more mature than last year. Um, it's going to come down to each one. I think Gabriel's going to have to have a heyday of, of a day. Um, it's going to be a great battle there. But, Cody, who are your key players to watch, Oklahoma and Texas? And then we'll get into our predictions. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know I'm a quarterback guy. But to me, the there's one key player. One key player. And actually, there's one key component. I don't even think it's a player. Mm. Coach Venables, can you get your defense to play well enough to keep your offense in the game. Defense holds Texas long enough to allow your offense to get used to the team speed of Texas and the talent that Texas has up front. Um, I think if Venable's defense is able to keep Texas under 30 points, if you give up 28, I think Oklahoma wins the football game. So, like, that to me is the key factor, Oklahoma's defense, because we know they're going to score. I Like, well, actually, we don't know this. I assume they're going to score. Mm. Like Oklahoma's offense is averaging, I want to say they're averaging like 53 points a game or something like that, top five in the country. So that being said, can Oklahoma's defense limit Texas's explosive plays on offense and really make them drive the field and earn the points that they score instead of explosive plays? That's going to be the key The key matchup right there. Texas's offense for first uh, – versus Oklahoma's defense, Venables versus Sarkeesian. I love seeing the coaching battles, too. It's like kind of like a real-life version of Madden, right? So you've got yeah. Venables <laughs> calling the defensive plays. you got Sarkeesian calling the offensive plays. A key player for me, Drake Stoops for Oklahoma. Um, we want to see him break out. He's been in this rivalry forever, obviously since he came out the womb, with Bob Stoops being his dad. Um we need to see him break out on third downs. Can he be that, you know, that target for Dylan Gabriel, that that safety blanket for him offensively? And then the other side of it, A.D. Mitchell, wide receiver for Texas. Without without Sanders, he's got to be the guy to stand up. We know the ball is going to go to Xavier Worthy, but A.D. Mitchell, coming from Georgia, he's got to take the top off of that defense. But we get to our predictions, Cody. I know where you're going, obviously, but Oklahoma, say why in your predictions. And your, sorry, your score. Oklahoma, you're going to force Quinn Ewers into two, count them, one, two turnovers, whether it's fumbles, interceptions. Mm. You're going to force four, three and outs. And Oklahoma will win this game 31-28 on a field goal. Dylan Gabriel leads the last second drive. They kick the field goal and jump possibly into the top six, maybe even top five after beating Texas 31-28. Wow. Okay. All right. I like that for me. I got Texas winning. I'm going to the other side. Are you Cody? I got I got to. Uh, 35-28. I think Quinn Ewers is the last second touchdown to A.D. Mitchell. I'm going four touchdown passes for him, and I'm going two 
two turnovers for Gabriel. I'm going two turnovers for Gabriel, four touchdown passes for Ewers with Texas winning that one. I'm so excited to see it. And that's a 9 a.m. slot. So make sure, folks, you watch college game day and then watch that game right after. 10 Notre Dame at 25 Louisville. I'm, I'm stoked to watch this for two reasons. Obviously, being the third straight opponent for Notre Dame that's been ranked. That's the first time to happen in two decades for the Irish. On the other side of it, Louisville, they've got, sorry, excuse me, they were picked eighth. They were pre- they picked preseason eighth in the ACC. They're 5 and 0 for the first time since 2013 with their new head coach, Jeff Brom. A bunch of storylines here. But, Cody, what sticks out to you about either side, Notre Dame, Louisville, when you look at this matchup? Well, on both sides, they both both teams, uh, Notre Dame, Audric Estime, 7.1 yards a carry. Um, and then on the Louisville side, Jawar Jordan, 7.7 yards a carry. Are both teams going to be able to run the football, or can they establish the run against two very, very talented defenses? Louisville's a little bit underrated. Notre Dame's been on a couple big stages, so we've been able to see their defense. Um, Jack Plummer, in five in five games? Yeah, they're 5-0. and so in five games, you've thrown six interceptions. That's too many. The guy on the other side has zero. So ultimately, can you avoid the big turnover? Got to be more consistent on third down. Um, make sure you got to locate number 56, Howard Cross from Notre Dame. The man had an absolute dominant game against Duke, um, forced two fumbles, uh, had multiple sacks, had over 13 tackles, 10 solos. So Jack Plummer, no more turnovers. More consistent on third down and an intermediate passing game. And make sure you identify where 56 is at all times. Um, Find your playmakers. Jamari Thrash, 20.2 yards per catch for Louisville. Got to make sure you locate him. Make sure he gets the ball early and often. On the Notre Dame side, Audric Estime, 672 yards, seven touchdowns in four games going into the game. um, Or five games, sorry, going into the game. Um, Make sure he gets the ball early and often so so then Sam Hartman can then open up um, in the play action game, find Mitchell Evans. Um, the last two big games that Notre Dame has had, Mitchell Evans, 600 or six catches for 134 yards against Duke, seven catches for 75 against Ohio State. So, can he continue his hot streak and can Sam Hartman keep finding him? And I'll just say it I know we keep harping on it and I hate to say it because I feel like we're kind of throwing shade, but we're really not. We just have high expectations for this player. Tobias Merriweather, where are you mm. at, man? We need to see you break out. This is a big time opportunity. More than likely, Louisville is going to load up the box against Audric Estime because, as we know, if you run the football, you run the football to win games. So if Louisville stacks the box, one-on-one matchups on the outside, Tobias Merriweather, this is your game. This is your game, man. We need to see more from you. Um, Sam Hartman, just keep doing what you're doing, man. 14 Mm -hmm. touchdowns, no picks. Um, What a great matchup. Yeah, and both teams are going to load the box, too. Both teams trust their defensive backs, especially Notre Dame we've seen in the past two weeks. Um, they played well against Duke. They even played better against Ohio State with Amuka, Amuka Becca and uh, Ameka Abuka. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Name backwards. There's name backwards. And Marvin Harrison Jr. The thing about Louisville, that's it's been incredible to see how great they've been so far, and I think teams are starting to take notice of this. Uh, Clemson, maybe next year you can do this. 25 players in the transfer portal. They've attacked the portal, and because of that, they're 5-0. and They're on top of the ACC right now, including their quarterback, Jack Plummer, uh, Jawar Jordan, who was last year, he was in the portal too, and then Thrash, the guy you mentioned um, from Georgia State. I believe Georgia State or Jackson State is their new is their top wide receiver. Again, this is another team on the road, another test for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. My keys to victory for Notre Dame, you mentioned Jake Plummer. 
a turnover machine, interceptions. I think they've got to force Jake Plummer in those. Uh, Jake Plummer, Jack Plummer. Jack. Jake, Jack Plummer. Jake Plummer was the quarterback for the Cardinals. Yeah. Arizona State. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for Arizona State. Yeah. Jack Plummer, um, six interceptions. I think they've got to force him to, to throw the football in long second and third down situation. They started to do that against Riley Leonard, and that's what kind of made them uncomfortable with Duke's offense later in that game. Um, also, I'm going to mention, we haven't mentioned punters on the show before, but I think Notre Dame's punter was a big key factor in Duke's game last week. I mm. believe the first half for Duke, they averaged their own 15-yard line was the start of their drive. Wow. And then for Notre Dame, it was their own 40 or 45. I thought that was something really big to look out for there. Notre Dame's punter, I think, has got to be big to force Louisville in bad field position. You know this, Cody. But I'm going to ask you, as a quarterback, how frustrating is it to start off in bad field position over and over and over again, especially with a good defense like Notre Dame? Well, I think it just puts a little bit of pressure on you. You know, whenever you're in, like, what we call the shot area, which is, like, midfield, like, in that kind of, like, the middle 20, so mm-hmm. from 40 to 40 on each side, um, that's where you can kind of be a little bit more aggressive with not only your play calling, but also how you uh, read a defense. Usually, you like, you might change your read from, like, okay, I'm going to take – a look at that shot play first and then work my way down to a check down when you're backed up, say you're on 10 yard line, 15 yard line. Um, the aggression kind of comes out of your play calls and now we have to be a little bit more efficient. So, you know, slants outs, intermediate passes, digs and things like that are going to be more at a premium um, down there. So ultimately it just kind of, as a quarterback, you want to be more aggressive. You want to attack a defense um, and you're able to do that when you're starting, like you said, at your own 40, 45 yard line. Uh, but when you're backed up, Running the football becomes a premium. Short, intermediate passing game becomes a premium. And it kind of slows your offense down a little bit, especially if you're like a high-powered offense that likes to go mm. fast. Another key for Notre Dame, can they limit the penalties, minimize the penalties? But more specific, Cody, more specific, the pre-snap penalties. They had eight out of the 12 were pre-snap penalties for Notre Dame. Uh, new slash for you, Notre Dame. It's going to be loud in Louisville. It's going to be packed because you're a top-10 team and you are Notre Dame. It's going to be packed. Can they limit those Penalties, and then another one which I transition into my key player here. Louisville struggler. I can't talk today. <laughs> Louisville struggles to cover the running back out of the backfield. I think mm. a guy to look out for, Jeremiah Love. We talk about Audric Estime, but they're starting to implement Love in their offense. Speedy freshman running back. He's explosive, 6'1", 195. I think you got to get him on some Texas routes, some swings, motion him out in the slot. He's a really good route runner there as well. Maybe some. T out routes as well, but he's a guy to look out for, especially with Jaden Greathouse and Jaden Thomas, the wide receivers, their top two wide receivers, questionable again for this week. I would expect Love to be either lined up on the same side as Evans and kind of force Louisville to pick whether we're going to cover Evans and down the middle, or are we going to cover Love out of the flat or even on the opposite side to kind of balance the offense there. But Jeremiah Love, a guy to watch out for for this game for me, for Louisville. Um, your thoughts on that, and then who are your, some of your key players for this matchup? Yeah, definitely. I think Jeremiah Love is definitely going to be an X factor because, as we know, Audric Estimate, the one who gets all the headlines, Jeremiah Love, this is an opportunity for you to kind of have a Dylan Edwards type of a game from Colorado. Routes out of the backfield, catching swings, against slower-than-you linebackers, be mm. explosive. And a guy like Sam Hartman, six years playing college football, he's gonna he's experienced, so he knows how to use the check down. In a hyped-up environment, more than likely the defense is going to try and be aggressive. They're going to try and bring pressures. When you bring pressure, that leaves people exposed. One-on-one matchups. Mr. Love, this is your opportunity. One-on-one matchup with a safety or a linebacker. you got to make people miss. 
be explosive in that short to intermediate passing game out of the backfield and possibly in the slot. Um, for me, it all starts and ends right now with Jack Plummer. If he has a good football game, Louisville will be in the game. If he turns the ball over three, four times, Notre Dame might run away with this one. Mm. So let's get to our picks, Cody. Jeremiah Love, Jack Plummer, the two key players to watch in this matchup. For me, I got Notre Dame. I think they win big. They've had some back-to-back gritty games. I think this is the game that they finally just get a big stretch, a big win. They've won 30 straight ACC wins. I think this is 31 for them. But the final score, 42-20. to I've got the Irish winning in a 22-point victory. Sam Hartman, three touchdown passes. My prediction. Love it. Love it. Great pick. Great pick. I'm going to go 31-14. Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame's defense is going to be able to limit uh, the Louisville offense, they're going to force, like I said, three or four turnovers. I don't think Jack Plummer is quite ready. I think early in the game, Louisville's going to be able to play with a ton of emotion. It's probably They're probably going to do like a blackout or something like that mm. at Louisville and really have the crowd hyped up. Um, and I think they're going to be able to ride that wave of emotion in the first half. But I think ultimately that Notre Dame offensive line, Mr. Love, Mr. Estime in the backfield, even Sam Hartman using his legs um, in the second half will really be able to lean on that Louisville defense and ground them into the ground, unfortunately. So... Uh, quick fun fact before you go. Ooh. AC, in the ACC right now, Miami undefeated 4-0, but in the conference standings, they are technically ranked 10th because they haven't played a conference game yet. Ooh. So, interesting fun fact. I love that, Cody. And you said 31 there, which is interesting. It'd be, it would be their 31st straight win against ACC. I see what you did there, Ooh. Mr. Oaks. Hey, and this is another night game for Notre Dame, too. You want to talk about they've had Ohio State night game, Duke night <sighs> game, Louisville night game, and then USC is going to be a night game, too. Bro, you want to <laughs> talk about, like, prime time, like, being literally, like, prime time? These dudes are constantly playing in big-time games. 100%. I'm excited to watch that one. This next one, a kind of an underrated game. We talked about it as one of the games that could try to change the CFP, and we talked about it in our last episode, teams that could – you know, shake up the CFP. You've got Maryland on the road at four Ohio State. Now the spread's 20, but this is probably one of the best quarterbacks besides Sam Hartman that Ohio State has faced. Cody, what stands out to you about this matchup? Maryland on the road at four Ohio State. I have it written down here. Does Maryland have the better quarterback for the first time lining up against Ohio State? And my answer Mm. to me is yes. Leah Tagovailoa, close to 1,500 yards, 13 touchdowns, only three interceptions. Um, another name to know, Jahan James or Jayshon James, wide receiver from Maryland, 20.2 yards per reception. Didn't actually get to play, um, in their first big 10 game against Michigan state, but now against Indiana, um, like I said, had that 20.2 yards per catch average is Ohio state's back four or five, depending on if they're in the nickel or regular DBs, are they going to be able to hold down Jayshon Jones and Leah Tagovailoa? I'm really excited to watch this this battle between quarterbacks and see how strong, how fast Maryland starts. Because I think if they start fast, that's when you got McCord at, at, at you know a lot of pressure up against the wall. Um, I, I mean, you're favored by 20 points. Can he overcome the battles there? And can he get that kind of that last drive that McCord had against Notre Dame? Can he do that every single drive? Uh, for this Ohio State team, a key player for me that I look at, Cody, when this matchup, we guy we talked about earlier, JT Tumalau. Almost said his name right. Nice oh, job. Close. Cool. Getting better. Oh, nice job, dude. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. He has no sacks so far this season. 
no sacks. So teams have been able to double team and contain him. Can he bring pressure to Mr. Tagaviola um, when it comes to all said and done? He's a key player to me. Can they contain um, to, to God, I can't say these names. Talia Tagaviola. Tag, that was close. I'm now, so... say Tagaviola and Tui Molowau. Tagaviola and Tui Molowau. Ah, that's not bad. Not bad there. Not bad. Not bad. But I'm stoked to watch this. Obviously, 9 a.m. game. People are going to count out Maryland. Can Maryland come out on top of this? But what stands out to you about Ohio State-Maryland in this matchup? I know you've got more to say about this matchup than I do. Yeah, I just say, can like, where's Marvin Harrison been? Mm. In their two Power 5 games, their two Power 5 games against Notre Dame, three catches, 32 yards. Against Indiana, two catches, 18 yards. So in two Power 5 games, Marvin Harrison has five catches for 50 yards. You're supposed to be the best player in the country. Kyle McCord, what are we doing? Find Mm. your guys, my boy. I get it. You guys put up 70-whatever against Western Kentucky. Cool. Guess what? Marvin Harrison needs to shot. Your best players are supposed to play in the toughest games. Okay, this is going to be your toughest game to date. Obviously, we get it. Notre Dame was a tough one. But Kyle McCord, are you confident after the Notre Dame win? Or what? But find your guys. Marvin Harrison, it's time for you to show up, bro. Five for 50 yards in two games against Power 5 opponents? That's not mm. good enough. And that's mm. darn not going to get the job done against this explosive Maryland offense. So can Kyle McCord find Marvin Harrison Jr. as well as the Mecca Buka early and often? If not, Travion Henderson. You're gonna, you might need to tote the rock. If Travion Henderson has 20-plus carries, maybe 125, 150 yards rushing, Ohio State should be in a good spot. But Kyle McCord, you have to avoid the big turnover and find your guys. Marvin Harrison Jr., Ameka Ibuka, Julian Fleming, all those guys on the outside are there. Let's find a way to get them the football early and often. Ohio State coming off of a bye week as well, so maybe a slight advantage there, more time for McCord to study this Maryland defense. All right, Cody, let's get into our predictions. I got Ohio State winning this one, but I think it's close. I'm going 32-24. to 24. Um, like we said, I think JT is a key player. But, again, I'm excited to see um, Tagaviola against his defense. He's played a lot of college ball. Again, another veteran quarterback, probably one of the best quarterbacks that they face besides Sam Hartman. Um, can they limit the turnovers? But, again, I think it's going to be a close one. But a morale, a, a good morale win, um, I guess, for Maryland, even though they lose on, obviously, the, the losing column there. 35-31. Ohio State wins. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Maryland. Like that would be a bold not pick. About to say this. <laughs> hey, hey, that'd be a bold pick there. You, you, you definitely would have got me there. Uh, let's go to the SEC, Cody. And this one, real quick uh, 23 LSU at 21 Missouri. Did you think before the season that LSU would be ranked lower than Missouri? Worst record in the SEC than Missouri. Missouri, a team that we had very ranked low in the SEC. Brady Cook's been balling. They've got running back and Schrader. He's been balling, too, on the road for LSU. Can they overcome the battle of the upset last week? And, I mean, just the absolute defensive shot show, dumpster fire that they had last week against Ole Miss. What sticks out to you here, Cody? Man, the biggest thing for me, can Brady Cook keep cooking up these defenses in the SEC, baby? Can he keep cooking? No. Biggest stage of the year so far for Missouri. Obviously, they had that Kansas State game earlier in the year. No one had a lot of expectations at that time. Now, you're ranked. You're in the top 25. You're undefeated. Um, and realistically, Missouri, we're in. A, we're living in a time right now with Missouri that they get by LSU. 
they could end up being undefeated playing Georgia at the beginning of November. That's crazy to think about. But to me, this starts and ends with LSU. Can Malik Neighbors continue his hot streak? His last three games, hear me out. 13 for 239 and two touchdowns. Eight for 130 and two touchdowns. Eight for 102 yards. Like, folks, like this guy's cooking right now. Mm. Jaden Daniels, you got to keep finding your guys. Remember how we just said Kyle McCord finding his guys? Jaden Daniels really in the last game was, and the last few games has really started to pick apart some defenses. By the way, Jaden Daniels, 16 touchdowns, two picks. You know who else has those stats? Michael Penix, who's actually leading in the Heisman Trophy contention mm. right now. Just saying. Great opportunity for Jaden Daniels to continue growing his Heisman campaign. Um, definitely going to have to have a big game to cover the mistakes that this defense ultimately has been making. Um, avoid the big turnover. Use your legs in the passing and in the running game, right? Off script plays is where Jaden Daniels really starts to kind of like elevate his game. Can he do that against a very good Missouri football team? We'll see. For me, when it sticks out to it, I'll, I'll get the defensive side of the ball for LSU. They cannot allow 55 points like last week or they're going to get blown out. Um, they got to bow down. and They've got more first-round picks than, from what I know than what Missouri has in Mason Smith and the potential Harold Perkins Jr. Harold Perkins, a rough year for him so far. They don't know how to use him. Is he going to be a middle linebacker? Is he going to be an edge rusher? Um, I think with Brady Cook there, a guy who's not as super mobile, you've got to attack him. You've got to attack him. Make him uncomfortable. Hasn't thrown an interception. What was it? 380 pass attempts or 365 pass attempts for Brady Cook. On the other side of it, Brady Cook, attack these LSU DBs. We've seen from Florida State. We had high expectations from them before the season. You even said that this LSU DB core was one of the best they've had. They've fell short of that with Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson week one against Florida State. And then obviously last week with those Ole Miss wide receivers as well. But Brady Cook. Keep doing what you're doing, and they've got a good running back as well to kind of, you know, counteract that for this Missouri offense. And then for the other side, Jaden Daniels, I think he's got to use his legs. I think he's got to continue to. They've struggled in the running game there. Um, another guy to look out for, for me, a key player. We get to our key players here. Mason Taylor, a little banged up last week. Um, we haven't seen a whole lot of him offensively. He's another guy I'd love to see him get open, especially uh, – and he hasn't had to do a whole lot with Thomas and neighbors on the outside having 100 yards mm -hmm. each each game like you mentioned there but those are some key players key things for me when i look out for this i'm gonna throw back to you some key players from mizzou number 21 mizzou and 23 lsu yeah brady cook avoid turning the football over <clears throat> i think brady cook has to have a big game though i think mm. i think lsu's offense is starting to pick up steam <clears throat> i think coach kelly and Jaden daniels are really starting to mesh not only as play caller quarterback but also just being able to manage the football game and understanding like okay like we're going to need to put up 40 because our defense is struggling. So now, Jaden Daniels, no turnovers. Brady Cook, no turnovers, bro. You cannot turn the football over because when you play against a team that's athletic and aggressive like LSU, when you turn the football over, that allows Harold Perkins to just go on the outside, pin his ears back, and rush the passer. And you are not a dual threat guy. So being able to hang in the pocket, maybe off of a play action, is going to hold Harold Perkins back if you guys are able to stick, sustain drives and make sure that you're chewing up clock. If this game is in the 40s, I think it favors LSU. I think if Missouri can force a turnover or two, make, like long, sustained 10, 12-play drives to score the football, keep Jaden Daniels off the field, don't allow him to get that 300-yard passing, 100-yard rushing type of game that we talked about in our prediction episode at the beginning of the year, um, I think Missouri will be just fine.
So we get to our prediction time. And I had this team, and I just crossed them out and went to the other team. But then I realized last week I did that three times, and, and I was wrong. And I was Ross all three times. Yeah, so I'm going to stick with my gut. I'm going Mizzou with the home upset. They're down. They're a six-point underdog. I think they, obviously, I think quarterback-wise, Brady Cook, I think he goes off. I got him winning 35-30. to 30. That also hammers the over as well. But Missouri keeps the undefeated season going. And LSU, 3-3? Three and three? Wow, that'd be wild. Cody? Uh, this is where we're going to deviate. I'm yes. black we deviated Texas, Oklahoma. We, we were on the same page, Maryland, Ohio State. I'm going to go LSU. I think LSU, because of Jaden Daniels, is going to win 35-31. And I think that because Brady Cook is going to turn the football over one too many times, and LSU mm-hmm. is going to turn that maybe either into a pick six, fumble return for a touchdown, or have the ball deep in Missouri territory, score, and that defense closes out late on a Harold Perkins sack. Another 9 a.m. game. That 9 a.m. slot is going to be ridiculous. We've already Unreal. named three out of four games that are the top games that are on at 9 a.m. This game, I'm confused, Cody. Maybe the sports books know something that we do not know. But 13, Washington State goes on the road at UCLA. Both teams coming off of a bye week, but UCLA is a three-and-a-half-point favorite, which I was shocked by. Freshman quarterback Dante Moore, they've got a lot of talent there. But, man, you've got to start with Cam Ward and this Washington State team. Cody, what sticks out to you when you look at this matchup? A big road test for Wazoo. I'd say, Wazoo, keep doing what you're doing, man. Ride Cam Ward. Those receivers, Josh Kelly, Kyle Williams, going to have to step up with Lincoln Victor. I'm assuming he's probably going to be out again. Um, Nakia Watson. Like, up until la- or up until two weeks ago, Nakia Watson and Cam Ward. Cam Ward was actually the number one rusher on the team, but he only had like 106 yards rushing. So, Nakia Watson at running back. You have to be involved in the run game this year. Or, sorry, this week against UCLA. Um, be effective. If he can get to like 70, 80 yards rushing to go along with Cam Ward's 350 to 400 yards passing that we know he's going to get in Coach Dykert's offense, I think that Wazoo's going to be in a really good spot. On the UCLA side, starts and ends with Dante Moore. Anytime you have a trigger man like Dante Moore, he's dynamic in the pass game. One of the things that I noticed watching some film and watching some breakdowns against him, him against like San Diego State and some others, um, he's got to be a little bit better on his intermediate passing game timing. He's kind of waiting, kind of patting the ball, patting the ball, patting the ball. Guys are flashing open. And he's also not anticipating guys beating people across their face or behind them. So if Dante Moore holds the ball against this opportunistic Wazoo defense, don't be surprised if you see one, maybe two interceptions um, for this Washington State, for this Cougar defense. It's going to be interesting to watch, too, is the wide receivers, Williams and Kelly, versus this UCLA defensive back room. Again, UCLA, another team that prides himself in the DB room. Uh, they played well against Utah, but again, offensively, they couldn't get the ball running with Carson Steele, their stud running back from Ball State. Um, I'm excited to watch this game for Cam Ward. I love seeing the underdog in Washington State and Wazoo. They've probably, you talked before <clears throat> the program, um, and Joel Klatt talked this morning. Wazoo's probably got the easiest road to the Pac 12 championship out of all the schools. I mean, they've got obviously at UCLA, which, which they're the underdog in, but they've got Arizona um, at eight Oregon, which is tough, at Washington. But again, if they can lose one of those games, be a one-loss team into the Pac-12 championship, one loss will get you to that Pac-12 championship, Cody. Yeah, you know, it's kind of setting up. If they're able to get this done and make, like like you said, like the Oregon, let's chalk up Oregon as a loss. Let's chalk up maybe Washington as a loss. All the other ones are up in the air. That means you're possibly looking at 10-2 and two, and in a Pac-12 right now where everyone is good, 10-2 and two 
has you right there with that opportunity to slide into that Pac-12 championship game. This is going to be a great game. Both quarterbacks, both athletic, both dual threat. Cam Ward, no interceptions so far this season, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, when it comes down to all two, a key player for me to watch for UCLA, it's got to be Carson Steele. You've got to be able to run the football against Washington State. Washington State struggled against Oregon State when they, when they played uh, against the run. So I, I think Carson Steele's got to take advantage of that. He only had 24 rushing yards against Utah. Um, and then for the other side for Washington State, Cam Ward can he use his legs effectively. Um, they've got a really good D line over there at UCLA, so I'm excited to see how the defensive line versus the Washington State offensive line. But Cody, what's a key guy to watch out for in this game? To me, ultimately, I think you just brought it up, Carson Steele for UCLA, and obviously I said Nakia Wat <clears throat> Nakia Watson for Washington State. But that being said, I think the fact that Wazoo has played Wisconsin. What does Wisconsin love to do? Run the football. They played mm -hmm. Oregon State. What does Oregon State love to do? Run the football. So I think the fact that they've played two dynamic run games heading into this game allows them to be better prepared for what UCLA is bringing and what Coach Chip Kelly is bringing, not only running the football, but even through the air off of play action, zone reads, RPOs, and things like that. So I think that right now, Wazoo is better prepared for this football game because UCLA played against a Utah team that, as we saw this last week against Oregon State, Offensively, they're kind of inept. No disrespect. It just is mm. what it is. Um, so I think that UCLA hasn't faced an offense this dynamic yet all season. And I think it's ultimately going to expose some deficiencies, not only for UCLA, but also kind of highlight Cam Ward and kind of thrust him higher up that Heisman Trophy uh, leaderboard. Good points there. I like that point where you said about uh, Wazoo against heavy running teams there. But let's get to it, Cody, our predictions. And again, I've crossed out a million times on this matchup. I don't know what to see on this, but I'm riding the underdog here. I'm going Wazoo. I think they win on the road big. I like what Cam Ward is doing. And for me, when it comes down to it, I think they've got the better wide receiver group over UCLA. They've got weapons. I think for UCLA, they, they're too run dependent. And when it comes down to it as a freshman quarterback in Dante Moore, if it's a tight game, can he prevail? I don't know if he does against a more experienced Wazoo team. Give me Wazoo winning 30-28, to 28. Cody. What do you like? Love it, love it. I actually don't think this game is close. I'm going to go Washington State 38-21 over UCLA. I don't, think, I don't think UCLA is dynamic enough in the passing game. No disrespect to Dante Moore. I just mm. think that in, in games where teams have to run the football to establish the pass, I think that Wazoo's going to stack the box. They're going to force Dante Moore into a couple early turnovers. Short fields with dynamic offenses like Washington State equal points. Um, and I think Wazoo is going to run rough shot here in this game. 38-21, Cougs get a big win on the road. Big win for the Cougs. Let's move on to the SEC. Two big games, two big tests for the two best teams in the SEC right now. The powerhouse is the dynasties in the SEC. But let's start out with Alabama. 11 Alabama on the road at Texas A&M. And if you would have saw this game probably before the season, the spread would probably be a lot bigger. But now we've seen Texas A&M kind of picking up steam late with Max Johnson now at quarterback, 6'6", 250, I believe. That dude is absolutely massive, 230 for Texas A&M. the other side of it, Alabama, Jalen Milrow has been eaten too. But 11 Alabama on the road at Texas A&M. Big game for Jimbo Fisher versus Saban. So many storylines, so much to talk about here. But what sticks out to you, Cody, about this matchup? Man, going into this game, if I told you that one of these teams is ranked 104th in the nation with 195 yards passing a game, what team would you say it would be? A&M. I would too. It's 
Alabama, 195 wow. yards per game passing. Can Jalen Milrow be more dynamic, not only down the field throwing, but intermediate? I said it in our prediction episode at the very beginning of the year. Can Jalen Milrow be dynamic, accurate, on time, and on target in the intermediate and short passing game to allow the athletes on the outside not only opportunities to break one-on-one tackles because AM should stack the box against Jace McClellan, and those Bama running backs, but also they're going to stack the box to take away the RPO, zone read, quarterback run opportunities for Jalen Milrow. So Jalen Milrow, I think this is going to be on you. Um, I believe this game is in College Station, so it's going to be a dynamic atmosphere. Um, Over 100,000 people screaming their heads off. Jalen Milrow, your first big road test as a starting quarterback um, in the SEC. So, um, yeah, is A&M for real? I I already owe Mm -hmm. Jimbo Fisher a letter. They're four and one. I said they're only going to win three games this year. So um, is AM for real? This is their opportunity um, to kind of shut up all the naysayers like myself. Um, if you think about it, AM wins this game. Really, the only thing that stands between them and Atlanta for the SEC championship is probably going to be that LSU game towards the end of the year. <laughs> Sorry, guys. A little technical difficulty. <laughs> Drop the mic. I love Drop. it. I was going to say before you, before you continue to go, Cody – that that point you made about the intermediate route is big for Jalen Milrow because when they were down against Texas, I'm looking at right now, he's 14 and 27. They needed a throw to get back when they were down 11 points, down four points. And those intermediate throws, those digs, those slant routes, he continued to miss against that Texas defense. And that's what ultimately cost him that loss. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and as we know, Texas A&M, they're going to load the box. And also they're going to score the football. Max Johnson, Transfer from LSU, transfer portal. Shout out Dabo Swinney. Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, Clemson. That's my that's my one Clemson shot for the for the for the broadcast. Uh, no, but Max Johnson, like you said, dynamic, six foot six, 300, 230 pounds, big arm, can push the ball down the field. Evan Stewart, Moose Muhammad the third, some dynamic receivers on the outside for Texas A&M. I think Moose Muhammad might be injured. Or was it Evan Stewart? One of the two might be injured, so they're kind of coming back. I don't know if they're back this week or not. Um, I just know that they do have dynamic athletes on the outside. Um, Texas A&M, this is a great opportunity for you guys to take a huge step towards validating all that recruiting that you guys have done, all those NIL deals, all the stadium upgrades, and maybe do something that even Johnny Football wasn't able to do back in his time at uh, A&M, and that is uh, qualify for the SEC Championship. It was Evan Stewart. They're trying to get him back this week against Alabama. That would be a yep. big, again, another wide receiver on the outside. Can he take advantage of this Alabama secondary that's been looking better with Kool-Aid? What a name. Kool-Aid McKinsey. McKinsey, yeah. And then Caleb Downs, the guy you said before the season. But I'm going to throw back to you here, Cody, because when Connor Wagman went down, a lot of AM fans panicked. They didn't, they didn't think that this offense could pick up, even maybe be better with Max Johnson. What's impressed you about him in that transition between Weigman going down and Johnson, who's been playing well these past couple games? Yeah, I mean, I said it in a couple episodes. Uh, Max Johnson actually was the one who was in a quarterback battle with Joe Burrow. And so mm-hmm. he's been around for a long time, not only at LSU, but now at Texas A&M. Um, so you have an experienced transfer quarterback under center. Um, so he's seen a lot of big-time college football. He's played against good defenses. Think about an LSU defense back in 2019 that he was probably having to be the scout team quarterback against every single week. That's going to prepare you for big-time moments like this. So ultimately, at first when I saw Connor Wagner went down, I said, there you go. I told you guys they're only going to win three. And now Max Johnson said, wait a minute. So it's <laughs> just good to see 
Um, a guy kind of with a second lease at life, similar to Joe Burrow from Ohio State. Now, uh, Max Johnson able to do the same there at AM. So good to see. Happy for you, Max Johnson. Um, hopefully, you have a good game this weekend. Then for Alabama, a big test on the road. Jalen Milrow has been balling recently. I mean, obviously last week, not a lot of throwing yards. Like you mentioned, 195 yards per game. But he's using his legs effectively. Two rushing touchdowns against Mississippi State last week. Now him knowing that he's the quarterback, I think totally changes the mindset of him in this offense. I think Nick Saban's like, hey, you're you're a run-first guy. We're going to take advantage of it. We we don't like it, but we're going to take advantage of it. Or you're a deep-throw guy. We're with Jermaine Burton. But I think a guy here to look out for is Jace McClellan. This is the type of game, like, he reminds me of a lot of uh, Jameer <clears throat> Gibbs last year. Um, use him effectively, not only in the backfield, but out in the passing game as well. But a thing that concerns me for Alabama, Jalen Milrow. Yes, he's prone for throwing interceptions. But Texas A&M, Cody, in the last three weeks, has forced six fumbles. Jalen Milrow really loose with the football when he carries it. That's my biggest worry for him when it comes to him running the football a lot is this this Texas A&M defense is known for punching the football out. If a fumble or two happens for Alabama and they, they, they've got a big deficit to go behind, it's going to be tough for them to come back, especially a loud atmosphere in Kyle Field. Um, that's just something that sticks out for me. But another key player for me, I think it's got to be Jermaine Burton. You're the wide receiver. You're the top guy. Transferred from Georgia. We've seen some flashes of him. He's got to have a couple explosive plays, especially with Jalen Milrow, who's known for that deep ball. I think they've got to hit on at least one or two um, in moments where it's either a long third down or a long second down. They need a deep shot down the field. But what sticks out to you either about what, what I just said there, Cody, or what's some key matchups to watch for this game? Yeah, you know, I think it boils down to Max Johnson. Is Max Johnson has a good game? and Because I think Alabama is going to try and force him to throw the football. And if they're able to get Max Johnson in a rhythm – and score early and often, get Alabama down 10, 14 points, and force Jalen Milrow to have to throw the football. As we just said, Jalen Milrow, you haven't been very accurate, intermediate, and short passing game. That's how you get back into a rhythm and get back into football games. So, frankly, similar to Oklahoma and Texas, I think ultimately Alabama and, or yeah, Alabama and Texas A&M, Bama clearly the more talented team. But they're deficient at the quarterback position. So can AM take advantage of that, get up a couple scores, and force Alabama to do something that they don't want to do, which is throw the football down the field and be dynamic in that passing game? I know this isn't a big rivalry, but I always love seeing AM and Alabama, both teams that are, you know, either really good records or highly ranked. It's always a good matchup. You always see some kind of chaos or craziness out of this game. But Cody, for me, when it's all said and done, I got Alabama winning this game 28-20. to 20. I think it's close, but at the end of the day, I think Melrose steps up. This is the kind of game that defines him as a quarterback and defines Alabama as one of those CFP contenders, even an SEC contender. So I think it's a big game for Alabama. I like them winning 28-20. to 20. What do you have in this one? Love the pick. Love the pick. I love what Max Johnson is doing right now at a and I don't know if Jalen Melrose is ready for the 104,000. Um, that are going to be bearing down on him at College Station. Give me Texas A&M, 28-27, over Alabama. They go to 3-0 and in the SEC West. And I'll even tell you how it happens. Jalen Milrow drives them down. They get in field goal position, 40-yard field goal for the win. Misses. Alabama loses 28-27. See, I like that you're sticking to your point that you think Alabama's going to lose three games this season. I know you didn't say Ole Miss, but... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm, it was on their way. They were on their way to lose that game. Damn it. 
Hey, if they win this game and you picked them right, maybe you don't have to send the letter to Jimbo. You know, maybe it's like, hey, yeah, I, I thought the, you were going to win three games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People are going to expect it to be closer than what, what they think, but 20 Kentucky after a great week last week at Florida goes on the road at one Georgia. The spread is 14 and a half favored by Georgia. This is a night game in Athens. What sticks out to you about this game? Uh, first of all, the spread. Holy disrespect, Batman. Jeez. Mm. Uh, have you guys watched Georgia this year? Pundits? People that are mm. setting the lines in Vegas? Yeah. Have you guys watched Georgia? Four, two, t- two plus touchdowns mm. over a Kentucky team that is strapping people on defense, running the shit out of the football on offense. And not to mention, they haven't even really unlocked Devin Leary like that this year yet. So, you have a dynamic quarterback. You got a running back that's running all over the place. You got an experienced, physical, aggressive defense. Kentucky looks really good. Don't get me wrong. They're on the road. But with those three factors, those are things that travel. A run game and aggressive defense travels. That's why a few years ago, Coach Stoops had Kentucky ranked in the top 15, um, I want to say, during the COVID year. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, I think that Georgia, you cannot start slow. You have been so awful in the first half. The last three, four weeks, hmm. if you like, you will lose this game if you start like that. And Kirby Smart, your halftime speeches are legendary. Can we get a pregame speech like that? Like, <laughs> goodness, right? Yeah. Like, what is going on with Georgia in the first half, bro? 100%. And they're favored. I think the spread for them for the first quarter is five and a half, which is interesting because. I mean, Georgia doesn't score points in the first quarter. Their their point differential is at zero. For Kentucky on the other end, their past two weeks, they've scored 16 first quarter points against Florida and then 21 first quarter points against Vandy. I think they've got to start off fast, Cody, especially at the running game, Ray Davis. This comes off of a week where Georgia just allowed 200-plus rushing yards with Peyton Thorne and a running back that's not even that good at Auburn. I can't even – I don't even know his name, but Peyton Thorne was the leading rusher for – uh, for Auburn there, I think they've got to start out with Ray Davis. But again, Cody, I'm stoked to watch Devin Leary SEC game against the number one team in the nation. I think this is the kind of game that breaks out for him, for Devin Leary. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, right now, like, if I'm Georgia, I'm terrified going into this game. Mm, yeah. like, and the fact that it's at home does not help. Because I think that the crowd, like if Carson Beck starts out slow, maybe throws a pick, goes like three or four three and outs in a row, Kentucky gets up on them early. Don't be surprised if you start to hear some, ooh. But I will say Georgia does have the ultimate X factor in this game. Brock Bowers. Feed him early and often. He's probably the most unstoppable player in the country right now. No disrespect to Marvin Harrison. I'm sure there's some people out west who are like, oh, what about the Washington receivers? What about USC? Cool. Brock Bowers is better than everybody. I'm just mm. like we've said it. He's probably the best player in the country, regardless of position. So, Georgia, your key, you must feed the beast. Feed Brock Bowers, whether that's in those end arounds that we saw a little bit more last year, whether it's in screens, whether it's dynamic down the field passing. Brock Bowers needs to have 30 touches this game. Especially in the second half, too. That's when he performs best, right? In the fourth quarter, in the second half, that's when he performed best against uh, Auburn last week and the week before against South Carolina. That's when he broke out. My question to you, Cody, the only, the only concern I have for Georgia right now is those wide receivers because if they found a way, Kentucky, how can Kentucky stop Brock Bowers is my question to you. And, two, for Georgia, my concern is 
a guy like Ladd McConkey, who start, who played last week, that was his first game of the year. We haven't seen much of him recently. I don't know if Georgia can find that other guy in their offense to, you know, give some slack, give me be a target for Carson Beck if Kentucky finds a way to stop Brock Bowers, either bracketing him or double teaming him. But how can Kentucky stop Brock Bowers? I know it's impossible, but there's got to be a way. Yeah, I think I think I think the word you're looking for is not stop but limit. So if we limit his production, mm. the way they do it, load the box on on first down, load the box on first down, force second and eight or more, third and six or more, and then play coverage like play that kind of umbrella coverage and don't allow and like bracket him. Have someone underneath, someone over the top, someone manned up with some safety help. Don't mm. wherever he goes, there has to be either an assigned defender or maybe two assigned defenders. Because ultimately, like you said, Lad McConkey is not going to really take the top off the top of a defense. He's more of an intermediate passing game type of player. Slants, mm. digs, like you were talking about earlier. So Kentucky, load the box on first down. Don't allow Georgia to get downhill. Force second and long, <clears throat> third and long, and then play coverage with your experienced linebackers and try and just get pressure with that front four. I think if you are a Georgia fan. You're you're happy that Carson Beck has faced the adversity early with South Carolina, you know, being down at home and then being down on the road, hearing the boos and stuff like that and overcoming it. I think you're kind of happy that Carson Beck's experiences early. But again, if you experience this against a really good Kentucky team, really good coach in Bob Stoops or Mike Stoops, excuse me. Bob, Mike Stoops. Yeah. Mike Stoops, the brother of Bob Stoops. There's so many Stoops I can't even keep track. But <laughs> Uh, I, I think I think you've got to start out fast, like you mentioned, Cody. They cannot be lollygagging like they've been in recent games um, against a good Kentucky team. I'm going to throw it back to you. Key player to watch for in this matchup. To me, Ray Davis. Ray Davis, if, if Kentucky can get up 10, like Auburn did this last week, Kentucky's better at literally everything that Auburn was able to be successful at against this Georgia defense. So mm. Kentucky gets up 10 nothing, 14 nothing, or 14-3, they are going to take the air out of the football. Run Ray Davis. I'd say go two tight ends, eye back. I know in the, in the world of the spread offense, and I'm a quarterback guy, if you can go two tight ends, eye back, and just pound Georgia, run Ray Davis over and over and over again, even if you don't necessarily put points up on the board, maybe even touchdowns on the board, but mm. you're like chewing up six to eight minutes of the clock, and get Georgia out of rhythm, not only defensively, but on the offensive side of the ball. Carson Beck has to get cold and has to try and warm up again over and over and over again. I think that they're going to be in a good spot. For me, it's got to be Ladd McConkey. I want to see a breakout game from him. I mean, we've seen so much of Brock Bowers, but if they find a way to stop him or, I guess, limit, not stop, you can't stop Brock Bowers, can he step up in crucial moments for Georgia? When it's all said and done, Cody, I look at this game, I want to pick Kentucky. I but I just do. can't. I, I just can't. Do. I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. 28-20, I got Georgia winning in a close one. Great pick. Great pick. This reminds me a lot of the Tennessee game last year. Last year, it was Tennessee who was the hot topic. They had just come off beating Alabama. Everyone was like, oh, Tennessee, 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 Tennessee. They roll into Athens, and what happens? They get their doors blown off. Mm. So do I think Georgia is as good as last year's team? Absolutely not. But. I'm going to go 21-20 Georgia, but, man, do I want to pick Kentucky. They look so good this year. Mm, 100%. And we'll get to our, our – not this segment. Actually, it is our next segment, I guess, being upset alert. Teams on upset alert this weekend. I think the first one, obviously, we're both saying it. Georgia, 
on upset alert. We're, we wouldn't be surprised if Kentucky won, but we're not going to put on paper that Kentucky won, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. Uh, Georgia, you are on upset alert. I'm going to go take another step and say, uh, I mean, if we're going to take the outright upset, I mean, I already picked – I said Wazoo's going to roll over UCLA, and they're they're an underdog. Um, I'd also say who's 14 point – like 14 point – or what? Who who is that 14 point? There's like a 14-pointer somewhere. Um, well, 14 was Georgia, but the other one I think you're talking about is – yeah, it was Georgia or yeah, you're talking Georgia, about 20 like points with Ohio State. Are you talking about six and a half or Texas? You said Ohio State's favored by 20? Yeah. No. There's your upset alert right there. Leah Tagovailoa and that dynamic passing game, there is no way they're getting beat by 20. In fact, I think I said it was going to be a one-score game, 35-31. Ohio State, Kyle McCord, if you turn that ball over and let that dynamic offense from Maryland get going and you have to play from behind, watch out. Watch out. I'm going to say a team on on uh, upset alert and a quarterback we mentioned before that's been kind of a mediocre year. I think Syracuse on the road at North Carolina, I would be terrified. Off of a loss for for Syracuse there, I think North Carolina comes off of a bye week, which they've had an extra week to prepare with Mac Brown. But again, Syracuse would be a team that could come in there. And North Carolina's always been due at home, just not – they don't take their – road opponents very seriously they didn't play app state wall early in the year this feels like a game again garrett schrader and the boys are pissed off yes i like i'll go i'll i'll double down on that i think syracuse is better than people think i know they just took an l uh, against clemson but i think mm-hmm. that fires them up i think they know that if like if they lose another one they're probably going to be out of the uh, acc championship discussion so watch out uh north carolina drake may you have not produced much at all this year um like you said maybe this is breakout game time for him so um north carolina shit i'll go yeah yeah (laughs) i don't know what the line is on that one but i'd say north carolina be aware be very aware north carolina is favored by eight points currently against syracuse no that is one there let's get to our upset pick cody as we as we wrap this episode up let's get to our upset picks um, what is your upset pick of the weekend? Said it a few times on this show. Playing at altitude is difficult. What is the highest team in the nation? Wyoming. Over 7,200 feet up in the air up there in Laramie, Wyoming. Fresno State on the road at Wyoming. Give me the Cowboys to spring the upset for the second time against a team that has six shooters and ponies in their logo. I'm going to go with the Wyoming Cowboys over Fresno State Bulldogs in a close one, 31-28. That's a great pick. That was mine as well, but I have a backup too. I have a backup, but that was a great pick there. Fresno State, Wyoming, I agree with you there. Wyoming always plays tough, and it being a night game, very tough for Fresno State. Tough place to play. Um, My backup one, I don't know how they're still favored after what Cade McNamara is out for the year, but I'm going Purdue over Iowa. Like Hudson Card. On the road at Iowa. Again, they weren't very good with Cade McNamara quarterback. I don't know who the quarterback's going to be, but their OC is not very good. Sucks for McNamara. Maybe he can get a year of eligibility with a medical redshirt. Again, he'd be there for like a sixth or seventh, eighth year in college. But I like Hudson Card and the boys to pull out the upset. I'm surprised that they're the underdogs there, Cody. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think ultimately um, 
Cade McNamara being out. We know Iowa sucks offensively. Uh, they have that clause for the offense coordinator to score 25 points a game. Um, yeah, no mm. shot. Um, another one to keep an eye on, Kansas State traveling to Stillwater against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's not very good, but anytime you have Coach Gundy throwing trick plays in the spread offense, they can score the ball. You never know. Just mm. keep an eye on the game as well. It's a Friday game, I believe, too, which will be kind of interesting yep. to see that matchup. Kansas State vying for their lives. Um, to stay in Big 12 contention, even though the Missouri loss was out of conference. So um, they could still get a chance at the Big 12 championship. Um, as we move on, um, finish this episode out, week six is going to be a great one, Cody. I, I was interested on your thoughts. Um, a lock here that I had, I, I don't know, this just brought it up about a new segment for locks, but Colorado minus four at ASU seems really low for me. What are your thoughts about that? I think Colorado is going to roll ASU, especially after two tough weeks. They got a lot of firepower offensively. Yeah, I think Colorado is going to be playing desperate football because I think they look at this game as like another one in step to get bowl eligible. And I think ultimately Coach Dion is coaching right now to be the national coach of the year. If he can get Colorado into a bowl game, I think he, speaking of locks, I think he locks up the national coach of the year um, without a doubt. Um, no disrespect to Kalen DeBoer, even though you're going to be in the national championship game this year. But mm. – um. I think Coach Dion knows we got to beat Arizona State because this will be one of the few games this year that they're actually favored in. So win on the road at Arizona State, that gets you to four wins. Now, four and two with a backloaded schedule for Colorado, can they find two more wins in those last four? Or so sorry, in the last five games. So they'll have home against Stanford the week after, which will be on ESPN, which is interesting this week because they've had – Every game they play, they've either been boxed. the one. So they've yeah, exactly. They've either been the one or the two most watched game, which because they've been on ESPN and Fox. This one they're on the Pac-12 network. So I'm interested to see how the numbers are there viewing wise. It's gonna be tough. But three thirty on the Pac-12 network, they go home against Stanford next week. That's a that's win. A win. That's so two in a row. That gets them five and two at UCLA. Oof. I Depends hope. on how UCLA plays this weekend. Exactly at UCLA is a questionable one. I think then they play home against Oregon State. That's tough. They that's play home against Arizona. That's tough. And they end the season at Wazoo and at Utah. If they could get James six. Being out in that Arizona game, that might be the game. That might be the game. You know what's interesting, too? If they get six wins, I'm intrigued to see. Because usually a six and five team, they'll make a mediocre, Mickey, mediocre bowl game. Bro, everyone wants Colorado, especially for the bowl game, to get tickets, to get publicity. Publicity. There we go. God, I can't talk this episode. Okay. But just to get more eyes drawn on them, especially in bowl games, they haven't really gotten that much attention. I wonder who's going to get Colorado. I wonder who's going to get Colorado. I wouldn't be surprised even if they make like an Alamo Bowl. And usually the Alamo Bowl. All the celebrities. Bowl, yeah, the Alamo Bowl, usually you see like good teams in the Big 12 and good team in the Pac-12. An Alamo Bowl, they would probably try to go for Colorado just to get some funds and get some money in from that because – a lot of celebrities, like you mentioned, and then a, a lot of fans are going to want to see Colorado, especially in a bowl game. Their first bowl game with Dion and Shador. I hope it happens. Alamo Bowl, uh, maybe like a Sun Bowl. Mm. Um, you know, I think they're going to try and get them in a in a in a bigger city. So you might see like maybe like even like a uh, Tax Slayer, or maybe even, ooh. Now hear me out. You want to talk about big money draw? And the Pac-12 has ties to this game, the Las Vegas Bowl Ooh. in Allegiant Stadium. 
that Las Vegas Bowl, they would play a Big Ten team, which would be very intriguing. They'd probably play a team like Maryland. Maryland, Colorado would be a great game to watch. Um, that's really interesting. I, I'm excited to see when Colorado, it comes down to it, because most of those six and five teams we've seen in the past, like either Cal at squeaks in or UCLA is a good one with the Sun Bowl. I'm excited to see which game we'll be able to pick them, because that's going to be the team. I mean, Colorado, everyone's going to want them, especially with how much money they bring in. Absolutely. Very interesting discussion there. I hope they can make six games. If they make six games, Dion's got to be coach of the year, right? Absolutely. We will conclude this episode. Cody, what a great episode it was. Week six preview, episode 15. And, man, a lot of college football. Great week this week. I didn't think week five was going to be great. Week six is going to be great. Week seven is going to even be that much better. But um, just your overall thoughts, last thoughts as we wrap up this episode. Yeah, you know, um, it just it's interesting because we said, oh, week four is going to be a banger. And then it was week three and week five is going to be a banger. And then it was week six. And it's like so it's just great to see, you know, we're doing our research. We're getting our notes in. Mm. Let me start my stack right over here. Yeah. Um, to match my boy Jack's. No, nah, it's just good to see college football. It's the greatest sport on earth. And it's just great to see more and more eyes on it. And not only are there more eyes, but the, the product is delivering on the field. So fun to watch. Great to see. Love loved this time of year. It's so wide open right now, too. We don't even know who's the best team right now in college football. Yes, Michigan, they haven't really played many teams. Another big game for Texas this weekend, and then another big test for Georgia as well. But this is why we love college football. Last year, the 14-team playoff. I wish it was a 12-team playoff this year, Cody. I'm not going to lie. I keep seeing all those projections and stuff, but we will take advantage of the 14-team playoff this year. But, folks, week six, have a great week six watching football. We hope we prepared you to the best of our abilities with the best research. Keys to victory. Do your research is always a slogan here at The Point After. But for Cody Oaks, I'm Jackson Groff. The Point After, we'll see you next week with the week six reactions recap on this channel coming Monday. Peace.